You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com, the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, the Utah Jazz beat writer, or the Utah Jazz affiliate, excuse me, for uh, the ESPN True Hoop Network. So uh, Ben Anderson, our usual co-host, is out of town right now. I think he's out of town anyway. Uh, but anyway, not here is is the important part. Don't worry, he'll be back soon. Uh so instead of having a, a co-host today, I kind of called in some favors. I thought I'd get some perspectives from around the Utah Jazz, around the NBA, and see kind of what people think about what's going on with the Jazz uh, coming up. So media day, this, the season is sooner than you think. You know, I, I know this is the home of the Utes, home of football right now, but the NBA season is really 10 days away. Media day is coming up September 25th. That's next Monday, believe it or not. So there are a lot of issues for for the Jazz and the NBA that we can talk about during these two-hour segments every week here on the Salt City Hoop Show, Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. So uh, we've got Andy Bailey coming on the show. He's the uh, NBA beat writer for, uh, I should say, NBA writer for Bleacher Report. He usually covers the Jazz as, as well as other teams around the league. Um, we've got Zach Harper coming on, fan rag sports writer. He's got all sorts of other projects, including some comedy writing in Los Angeles. Also used to be co-host of the show. We have Dan Clayton, the associate editor of Salt City Hoops coming on, former Spanish radio voice of the jazz. He's always got smart jazz thoughts, and we're excited to talk to him in the 8 p.m. segment. And then we've got Trib Jazz himself, Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune, joining us at 8.30. We'll ask him about all of his recent reports on, on the jazz's offseason, including some news on Rodney Hood, Alec Burks, and even Derek Favors. So... Um, we'll talk to all those guys during the show. We'll also get J.P. Chunga, our producer involved. J.P., how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm ready to go. Uh, you're going to go all solo, Francesa or Colin Cowherd <laughs> on me, but I'll chime in at the end of these hours. Please. I love it. And if you have any questions for these for our guests, please please ask them as well. You know, I I I, I can't say that I'm great at doing one man shows yet. You know, it, it takes a certain amount of. Uh, Colin Coward's kind of ego is that is that fair? Ego, the splash of dye in his hair. Yeah. There's a lot going on. That's with what the I hurt. lack is the dye. Um, but I thanks to all of our guests for coming on and helping me with that. And again, thanks for JP uh, for producing and, and hopping in every once in a while. But for now, let's go ahead and get on Andy Bailey from, from Bleacher Report as promised. Andy, are you there? I am here, and just for the record, I don't think you need a splash of dye. I think you can carry without that. Wow, thank you. That, that's, that's the nicest thing anyone said so far to me on this show, which is uh, the first thing anyone said about me. Anyway. Uh, I believe in you. <laughs> thank you. So we have uh, a lot of actually real basketball to talk about. Um, you and I have both been watching yeah. this Eurobasket tournament pretty heavily. And then we've got, again, some jazz things going on. Rodney Hood's extension, you had an interesting rotation for the Jazz that you posted on Twitter, so I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. Um, but let's let's talk about Eurobasket first. Spain lost in an upset to Slovenia 
uh, earlier today, 92 to 72. Two jazz men on either sides of that equation. Ricky Rubio, new jazz point guard, leading up Spain's attack. And then you've got Igor Kokoskov, who's really garnered some some acclaim for what he's done, leading Slovenia all the way to the finals of Eurobasket, which, by the way, if you're not aware, is is the European competition where you know they figure out who the competi- national champions of, of Europe is uh, biannually, I should say. So, uh, so far we've seen eight games of, of Ricky Rubio. What have you thought of his play so far, Andy? Uh, I think, you know, generally speaking, he's looked really good. Um, I think he kind of exploded out of the gate in the first few games and, and had really, really impressive numbers in those first few, and I think those have kind of padded his overall numbers. I think they've, they've kind of been on a slow decline over the course of the tournament, but if you look at it sort of a macro view, um, I don't I don't think you can be too disappointed in how he's played, and to me, one thing that's really encouraging, if you're a Jazz fan, is uh, he's he's been fairly aggressive as a scorer, I think more aggressive than he was in Minnesota, and maybe that's just his role with the Spanish national team, but there was a couple games where he was really drawing free throws. I think he might have even shot 10 free throws in one of these games, mm-hmm. so uh, Ricky Rubio, who's a little bit more aggressive as a scorer, I think will fit um, the Utah system better than than just the pure 100% passive player that he was at times in Minnesota. So I think there was a lot to take away. I, and his shooting numbers over, I mean, a decent sample. It was eight games. It's not a ton, but it's it's a decent amount. And if you combine that with his second half last year, there's some evidence that he's shooting better too. So I think there are definitely some, some positive takeaways there. I'll tell you what, like from a, you know, you know me. I don't know if all of our listeners know me. I'm a math guy. I, I was a math graduate at Westminster. I'm, I've always used stats in my writing, you know, ever since I really started in this. I've always used stats on on the radio, too. I'll, like, his 38% three-point shooting percentage so far, that would be the best number of his career. But it's definitely not statistically significant at this point. But I'll tell you what is, is the number of three-point shots he's taking, where he's averaging four and a half three-point shots taken per game. That would be the highest number of his career and you know shows his he's being way more aggressive. And again, you watch the video. It's not just the stats that show that, too. It's, it's he's pulling yeah. up for three in transition and doing all this other stuff he's not used to. Yeah, absolutely. And he's he's averaging those four and a half threes a game in just over 20 minutes. Like um, Spain's coach has been pretty conservative with, with how, he, how much he's played as starters. So if you extrapolate that over to however many minutes he's going to play with the Jazz, that could be five or six three-point attempts. Um, and like you said, there's, there's an aggression there that I'm not really used to seeing from him. He had one play specifically today um, where he, he pump faked the three and took a little dribble pull-up, which is a dribble pull-up is just not something that you think of when you think of Ricky Rubio, and he nailed it. Um, so I think maybe, and again, I, I feel like I kind of have to combine the last half of last season to make this any sort of a real sample size, but I, I think there's reason to believe that there may be some traction um, coming together on his confidence, at least, as a shooter. Yeah, I, I wrote a little bit about Rubio earlier on in the summer and, and kind of looked at that mid-range game, and I was surprised, too, to see how many times he uses the mid-range pull-up in, in either pick-and-roll or as just to kind of uh, avoid taking the three, quite honestly, right? Kind of ball fake out of that and take a closer shot, which he's more comfortable with. And he's actually one of the better mid-range pull-up guys in the league. Now, maybe that's just because people leave him so wide, wide open for it, but he is capable of making that shot. I think we saw that today with his with his shooting inside the arc. The problem so far, and really the problem in Ricky Rubio's career, is he can't make a layup and he's afraid of taking him. Yeah. There was one play today that 
so we've talked about a lot of positive signs so far. There was one today that was certainly a negative sign. Uh, the lane, I think it was just a defensive breakdown by Slovenia, and all of a sudden it was wide open. Um, I, Anthony Randolph might have been two or three feet behind him, and he had a wide open layup, and he just stopped basically right in the middle of the lane, turned around and chucked it back towards half court, and it was a turnover. Yeah. Um, I don't think Anthony Randolph was going to be able to get the chase down in that case. It didn't look like it to me. He's a, he's a long athletic guy and maybe he could have, but from the live camera angle that I had, it just looked like a wide open layup. And that what I said immediately after that was hopefully <laughs> Quinn Snyder and the rest of that coaching staff can kind of get inside his head on those and say, Hey, we need you to take open layups. Yeah. Um, if they can fix what he does around the rim, I think he's a completely different player. The other thing is, I mean, I, I don't know that you'll ever be able to make him an above-average finisher, but he needs, like, a floater of any kind. Like, he uh, he's within, you know, seven, eight feet of the rim, and he has no one around him, and he, he avoids taking these shots where it's just like any other point guard. I, I really think this. Any other point guard in the league would probably take that shot in those instances, and he just... It's I I don't know if it just doesn't have it in his bag of tricks or what or if he does and is just reluctant to show it because he's he's not very good at it. That's something that the Jazz have been teaching all of their players is that little floater. Even Rudy Gobert has learned that floater and tried it a couple times in games. You better believe we'll be seeing that a little bit. At least the Jazz will try to teach it to Ricky Rubio next season. Yeah, I think that's something that's critical specifically um, as he plays with the Jazz because there's going to be a lot of Ricky Rubio, Rudy Gobert pick and rolls. And if he has, if defenses know that he has nothing to go to as a scorer off that play, they are just going to do whatever they can to take away that lob. Yeah. Um, and while I, Gobert is as long and as athletic as it gets for a big man, and so it's hard to take away a lob from him, uh, you don't want defenses to just be able to completely concentrate on that. You have to keep him honest uh, on the other side of the pick and roll. So he's going to have to develop something like that for, for this to work uh, this season. Let's go to the other side of the game tonight, or today, I should say. Uh, Slovenia getting the 20-point win over Spain, maybe the best international non-U.S. team of all time, uh, and and doing it in style. What did you make of their performance, and especially what do you make of Igor Kokoskov's coaching so far? Well, their performance, I was stunned. I said after they beat Latvia that I thought they could they can make Spain uncomfortable. <laughs> and that was about as far as I was willing to go. I did not foresee a 20-point blowout uh, in that game. And they have, I, I think, rightfully so, a lot of attention is going to Luka Doncic. I, I'm just extremely impressed with an 18-year-old kid that can average 18, 10, 5, and a steal against grown men. People have been playing professionally for years. Um, those aren't his per-game averages. Those are per-36, just to clarify. Um, <clears throat> Kokoskov, too, I think has been extremely impressive and i've watched Slovenia play a few times and i i kind of recognize some utah jazz type action in those games too uh they do a good job of moving the ball uh they they try to force the defense to switch to get mismatches kind of the way the jazz would do with a bunch of ball screens and ball movement and stuff like that last season um and i think offensively they've just been fantastic they put the ball in their two best playmakers hands goran dragic and Luka Doncic, and he just he has empowered those guys to put up ridiculous numbers throughout this tournament. I think he's he's been one of the best stories of the tournament. Kokoskov has. Okay, um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit to you. Uh, about what a week ago, you posted these rotations on Twitter where you went through every NBA team and you said, "Hey, if I were head coach, this is how I would run this team." And and 
who I would give minutes to. And so I wanted to talk about yours uh, with Utah Jazz, if, if you don't mind. Do you have that in front of you, by the way? Did I you do. know I what you did? It up right when you first mentioned it, yeah. Okay, cool. So you've let's let's go through the spots. You've got Ricky Rubio getting 28 minutes at point guard. Then you you're given 12 minutes a game to Dante Exum. Only 12, or I guess you've got four for him at the shooting guard I've, position too. But still, only 16 for him may probably look at, killed look at you. Small forward. Oh, I I missed that too. Small forward minutes for Dante Exum. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got a little crazy with that. Okay. Tell me about that. Why why do you think Dante can play the three and and you know you're just trying to get him on the floor as much as possible? Yeah, that last part is is really what it comes down to with Dante and I think that there's so Utah isn't quite as talented um as they were last season. I don't think many people would argue that, but I think they're still pretty deep and it makes it difficult to get everyone that you want minutes uh minutes. And so I I look at Exxon, a guy who he came into the league at Six six. I I think he's to me. It looks like he's grown maybe an inch since then. Um, summer league, he looked like a guy who could play the wing. Ultimately, I think the dream for for me and especially with a team like Utah is positionless basketball. So if if I can get Exum on the floor at two or three different positions, um, it's kind of immaterial to me what they're called. I just I just want him on the floor. And with so many decent wings on this team, you. <laughs> You kind of have to get creative, and, and you have to mix guys in a bunch of different ways. And um, so that was the thinking with with Exum. And then maybe I'm just still irrationally high on Howell Neto, and I want him to still play. And it's just yeah, it's I was hard surprised you gave him eight minutes. Guys. Yeah, he, I mean he's he's a third string <laughs> point guard. So maybe and then I went back and forth on this with some commenters, and maybe that's one that I could begrudgingly let go of and give Exum more minutes at his traditional position, which is point guard. But there's just a lot of guys on this team that I think uh, are worthy of, of NBA minutes. I, I think they have a lot of um, average to above average players on this team. It's just going to be hard to find a rotation. Yeah. So I, if I were you and, you know, or I guess I were jazz head coach, I would probably cut Nutto's minutes out of this rotation and instead give them to Rodney Hood, who you're only giving 24 minutes a game to. That was that was an omission that another person brought up. I would almost certainly have to slot him in some minutes at the small forward as well. Uh, I mean, he's going to be the number one for or option. He's almost certainly got to play at least thirty. Then you've got Donovan Mitchell playing twenty minutes a game at all at the shooting guard position. Um, I you know this is going to be interesting. I I honestly think that Donovan Mitchell is going to get more minutes this season than Dante Exum. Is that crazy? Well. <laughs> For me, it is, but if you're predicting what the coaches will do, that's not crazy. I mean, having talked to people who are closer to the team than I am, it sounds like they really want Donovan Mitchell to play. Um, And it's understandable. He's a bulldog defensively. I think he's a great competitor. Um, From what I saw at Summer League, which is an extremely limited sample, I I think Exum is ready for a bigger role right now than Mitchell is. But it wouldn't surprise me. If uh, if it went the way that you're saying that that Mitchell will be the one who gets more minutes, yeah, it's interesting. Like, and maybe this is just like confirmation bias coming into play because I I remember coming out of those three games thinking that they were neck and neck, and I would want to give the playing time to the younger guy who you have under team control for you know four more years rather than having him under team control for only this upcoming season. Is he actually younger than yeah. Exum? Yeah, he's Donovan's just twenty. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought he had been in college for three years, but it was just two, right? It was just right? two, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's. 
I think that's totally fair. I think where I come down on it, and I and I think it's, um, I think it's smart to want to go with the younger guy who's who's under team control for longer. I think Exum, with his size and ability to play multiple positions, which we kind of touched on already, that's that's kind of what makes me lean his direction. And I think Mitchell has an ability to play multiple positions too. I just think it's it's more as a one-two. And I think, like, realistically, and I'm, I might be alone on this island, I think realistically Exum could play one through three, yeah, um, I, which is a big thing for me. I, I honestly think that's true, and I think I've, I've heard the coaches talk about that as well, that you, you could play him at, at the three if you needed to. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you lose anything playing him at the three compared to playing him at the two, for example. I, I, I don't think that, like, the, the size would give him, him problems, I guess. Let's... Yeah, and in a lot of offenses, two and three, and sometimes even two, three, and four are really interchangeable in terms of what they actually do on the floor. So um, I, I just think his size makes him more compatible with that. You've got Joe Ingles, the $52 million man, playing 24 minutes a game at the small forward position. Then Cephalosha, new signing, Tabo Cephalosha, playing 16 minutes a game. Again, the aforementioned eight minutes a game at, uh, at small forward for Dante Exum. Derek Favors playing 18 minutes a game at power forward and then eight minutes at center. Do you like Derek Favors as, as backup center? I do. And <laughs> this gets into another problem that we've had at previous positions. Um, to get him the minutes that he needs, he's got to play some backup center. Yep. Um, and then that, that almost eliminates Udo from the rotation. Um, it, it eliminates part of Jarebko from the rotation. I think I've heard that he might play some five. Um, Excuse me. There's just there's just so many guys that you want to get on the floor. It's just hard. There's only 48 minutes at each position. So, I think backup center minutes are going to be important to get favors in that like near 30 minute range that would keep him happy. I mean, to keep him happy, he might want even more than 30. I just don't know if that's realistic. And I do think there's something to this idea that with the two nine minute timeouts removed each half, plus uh, a kind of difficult schedule i obviously it's spaced out but against the harder teams in the western conference i think there are some upsides uh and honestly some players with uh, a lot of players quite frankly with some iffy injury histories you want to have as much depth as possible and so it's not so much that you're going to be playing a lot of howell netto minutes right away or you're not going to be playing a lot of ekbe udo minutes right away uh but having those guys in case something does happen to Derek Favors which you know history shows that it might or something does happen to you know Joe Johnson and you don't want to play him that many minutes or Rodney Hood again this year then you have those players who can step up and 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 play better than the Chris Johnsons and Elijah Millsaps the D League players of the world Yeah that's a really good point like I have numbers next to all these names as minutes and if you if you said that those were averages for a year um guys like Jarebko may play like two or three minutes when the whole team is healthy. Mm-hmm. But if favors is out, like you said, you might have to play 20. Right. So that, that totally changes his average. And I would agree with you wholeheartedly um, having that depth, even if it's hard for guys who are used to being rotation players to play a little bit less, um, it's obviously better for the team in the long run because those injury bugs, uh, they don't hurt quite as bad. I mean, Utah was the most injury plagued team in the league last season. I mean, they lost more wins, due to injury or more win shares it's it's actually a recorded objective number yeah. um and they still won 51 games because of that depth that, that dennis Lindsay has built so obviously in in the big picture even though it might ruffle some feathers if guys aren't playing as much as they want to it's it's a good thing for the team to be to be able to have that depth 
one other note, uh, you don't have Alec Burks in your rotation at all. Is that is that conscious? That's, is that just you don't you – know, what are you thinking with there? That's another one. I mean, it was conscious, um, and it was one that I had a lot of back and forth with uh, with fans. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to somebody, another Bleacher Report writer about Alec Burks today, actually, and he had, I think, one year that was really encouraging. It was like he's going to be the player I kind of thought he would be coming out of the draft, and I want to say it was like 13, 14 maybe. Yeah. And ever since then, it's just been a plague of injuries. And I, I feel awful for the guy. He was, I, If you Google me and Alec Burks, there's some article somewhere where I talk about him being the rookie of the year favorite hmm. um, after that draft. I mean, I was really high on him athletically. I loved his combo guard potential. Um, but I said a couple times, there are just so many wings on this team and so many guards on this team that you want to get minutes to. And it's really hard to get him to everybody. And uh, I would love for Alec Burks to be able to come all the way back to what he was in that, that sort of pseudo breakout season I already mentioned. Um, I just don't know how likely it is right now. So that one, that one was conscious, and it was kind of painful. All right. I want to ask you two questions that I, I want to ask every guest that we have on the show today. Uh, we'll start with overall – Dennis Lindsay's got a, a difficult decision coming up uh, with regards to Rodney Hood's extension. Uh, what would your final offer to Rodney Hood be if you were Dennis Lindsay? Right now, like before the season starts? Yeah, so you've got to give him an extension. If you want to offer him an extension, right? Uh, before the, yeah, I believe I it's probably, the October 31st deadline. I would want to get him locked up as long as possible. Um and so they just paid Joe Ingles for four years, 52, right? Yep. Um, I would probably try to go four or five years and, and 16 million at the most each. To, okay. And just to see. Okay. So you, you, you probably don't want to give him the like designated player five years. So you're probably talking four year there and then 16 million a year. So four sixty four. Cool. Yeah. All right. No, I like it. And then Between 64 and 70, I'll say. Okay. So I, I did bump it up a little bit there. All right, but that, I mean that's a, that's a lot of money, but that's I mean that's you know reasonable. That's what guys like. I, I kind of looked at some comps of of Rodney Hood, guys like Evan Fournier, guys like Tobias Harris, kind of these restricted free yeah. agency cases, and that's honestly what those guys are making. And so it's it's not unreasonable for Rodney's agent to ask for that. Uh, no, I mean it still kind of sounds like a lot just because we have only right. been dealing with these numbers for a couple of years. But you're right, that's that's the going right now. Uh, and then. Uh, the more general big picture question, where do you think the Jazz will finish in the Western Conference this year and, and how many wins will they get? I still think they will make the playoffs. Okay. Um, but I think there's going to be a bunch of teams from like 6 through 10 mm-hmm. that are going to be clawing it out with each other for the last couple of weeks. And I think um, all of those teams are going to be in the mid-40s. I don't, I don't think we're going to have as many teams hit 50 this year, I think they're going to beat each other up a little bit more over the course of the season. So I'm going to say Utah finishes seventh and with, I'll say, 47 wins. Okay. I like it. Uh, that's Andy Bailey from Bleacher Report. Everyone, can you let everyone know where, where we can read your stuff on, on website and Twitter? I am on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Uh, where you're, you'll see lots of crazy lists like the one we talked <laughs> about today. Your threads are great. Um, thank you. Uh, you can also read me. I write about the uh, the NFL and the NBA for Bleacher Report, and I also write about the NBA for Fanrag Sports. Sweet. All right, that's Andy Bailey, everyone. Uh, 
thanks to Andy for joining us. I want to shout out really quick uh, that you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, uh, or you can even call us into the show if you'd like, 877-353-0700, and we'll try to accommodate your call. If you guys have any questions for me or any of our guests today, um, just let us know on Twitter, and, and we can get those uh, get those going. So next segment, we've got Zach Harper from FanRag Sports joining us, also the former co-host of the show. Then later on in the show, we've got Dan Clayton and Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune joining us in the 8 o'clock hour. Let's go ahead and take a break for right now. But like I said, next segment, we've got Zach Harper coming up next right here on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson with you, the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. Uh, we got Zach Harper joining us on the show. Zach is writer for FanRag Sports uh, and also the former co-host of the show. Zach, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you doing? How is how is Los Angeles treating you? I'm good, by the way. Uh, Los Angeles is, is great. The weather's great. Um, you know, things are expensive. Uh, there's sunshine. It's great. Uh, you get to host comedy shows talking about Supermarket Sweep now. I do. <laughs> All kinds of game shows, actually. I... Uh, We've got a second one coming up, hopefully in uh, like two or three weeks, and uh, going to New York to do a show. It's uh, they they will literally let anybody up on stage. Can I can I ask what the second game show is? You know what? I'm going to give you an exclusive. Actually, I don't know. I may have tweeted it before, but uh, <laughs> we're doing Double Dare. Double Dare, okay. Double Dare, yeah. I used to like stay up all night long. No, maybe not all night long, but quite late watching the Game Show Network and watching you know old timey awful game shows. Actually, they're all great. That's why I watch them. Uh, uh, I mean, sweep, it, it doesn't there. get better than Supermarket Sweep. Like, Supermarket Sweep is the king of the hill for me, um, but there are some really good ones that I hope to make fun of in the near future. Very fair. Um, I want to ask you, you know, we got to see Ricky Rubio today, the new, like, Game of Thrones-esque Ricky Rubio. Sure. Um, and I wanted to ask you kind of what you thought about his play uh, so far in Eurobasket and uh, if you're if you're seeing any kind of differences between how he's played so far and, and how he played in a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform, especially at the second half of this year. Yeah, there, I mean, there's some huge differences. Like This is actually one of the few times I've ever really seen the Spanish team give him, like, true point guard duties. Usually they throw him out there with, like, Juan Carlos Navarro and Rudy Fernandez and um, and, and even Sergio Rodriguez to an extent, and they have Ricky bring the ball up the floor and then go stand in the corner. He's not doing so much of that anymore, um, but he's also not running the offense like he would at an NBA level. They run a ton of stuff out of the Gasol brothers, and rightfully so because those guys are awesome. But uh, you don't see the same like kind of, not defensive intensity, but like the same defensive tactics because it is a different game. So I, I don't think he's been that that Ricky Rubio-esque uh, defensively during Eurobasket. Um, he's, he's been shooting the ball a little bit more, which goes in line with what we saw the last like three months of, of last season when he actually shot the ball extremely well. And, and yeah, I think he had like three straight 20 point games, which is, it would, I mean, you, if he got three 20 point games in a season, it was, it was a ridiculous streak for him, let alone three in a row. Um, so like, I think you're seeing him maybe a little bit more confident in shooting and trying to score the ball, but it, this is like 65% Ricky Rubio. I've wanted to actually actually ask you about this for a while. Ever since that one random jazz fan met uh, Danny Ainge in an airport, and Danny Ainge apparently just uh, criticized Ricky Rubio's defense nonstop to this guy. What do you think of Ricky yeah. Rubio's defense? 
Uh, I mean, he's one of the five best defensive point guards in the league, and I guess like, <laughs> I, like you know, Danny Ainge knows a lot more about basketball than I do, but he also thinks Terry Rozier is untouchable. So, I mean, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah, I I always thought that was interesting. Like, I I kind of see. He also said Tom Thibodeau thought that too. Obviously, Ricky's former coach, and it, it never seemed like those guys really got along um, either on the court or off the court, kind of what they were trying to do together. Is that fair? Uh, I, I think the first like month and a half of the season, that's fair. I think once okay. once Ricky got kind of used to what the hierarchy was on that team and what they were trying to do, he he found ways to fit in. And then like I think he was bad defensively the first month, month and a half of, of last season, and then he was back to the same old Ricky Rubio. Uh, not that this means anything because you know Kobe Bryant got a few – all defensive first teams that he didn't deserve towards the end of his career. But like Ricky's, you know, in the running for second team, all defense the last few years. And when he's, when he's healthy, he's one of the, you know, I like Patrick Beverly's better than him. Chris Paul's better than him. Mike Conley's better than him. But other than that, they're not really any point guards that are definitely better than Ricky Rubio defensively. So I just don't agree. Like he gambles a lot, but he's also an intelligent gambler uh, on defense. And so at times it will look like, you know, he has made a mistake, but it, it, for the most part, he's deflecting passes. He's getting guys out of their driving lanes. He's, uh, he's doubling down in the post really well. He's doubling into the lane to, to swipe down on, on the basketball. He's rotating extremely well. He challenges shots extremely well. Like, I, I don't know how you watch him play defensively every night and think, like, oh, this guy actually isn't very good. Uh, let me go to the other side of that matchup today to Luka Doncic. And, and do you think he'll, he's going to be the number one pick next year? Or I guess maybe a better question is, does he deserve to be the number one pick next year? Uh, I mean, I'm trying to get into his family right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm all in on the Luka Doncic uh, train. I, like, I've, I've sworn my heritage to Slovenia, which I don't know that that's a thing, but it is now. Um, I'm all in on this guy. Like, and I think, that, I think Marvin Bagley and I think Michael Porter Jr. are awesome. And if they go number one, it is deserved because I got to see Marvin Bagley up close uh, a little bit this summer or a couple of times this summer at the Drew League, uh, which, you know, isn't NBA or college basketball, but it's still pretty good. And, uh, and I've seen, you know, plenty of Michael Porter Jr. Uh, tapes and synergy clips and all this stuff so far. Um, I think both those guys are awesome, and I think any team that ends up with them is, is getting a, uh, an incredible prospect. I also think if you decide Luka Doncic is – is the number one guy in the draft. I don't think that's wrong. Like he, I mean, he's, he's been playing at the, in the second best league in the world for a couple of years now. He's 18, and he, he just picked apart you know, the second greatest uh, basketball national team in the world. And granted, they weren't at completely at full strength, but they were at enough strength to where they should have not just beaten Slovenia, but beaten them easily. I, I have two facts for you, by the way, about Slovenia, since you're, it's okay. your new homeland. First of all, the, the second largest producer of wooden crates in the entire world. Oh, I mean, you don't have to tell me that. I'm Slovenian. Oh, I know these that's are, right. These Sorry. It's, it's your national product. You, you, you right. got all of the crates. Uh, and then secondly, their, their soccer team wears uh, like a zigzag across their shirt like uh, Charlie Brown does. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty, like, you yeah, know, these are my people. These are, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get a kit now. Yeah, I, and represent the zigzag. I, I'm sorry, I, I told you these things you already knew. Obviously, as a, as a lot. Right. Well, you're telling, we're resident. telling the audience. But, you're telling right. the audience, and I'm and I'm and I'm letting them know that you're not lying. Exactly. Um, I have got two questions that I'm asking every guest on the show today. The first one is about Rodney Hood. Obviously, the Jazz have the this window to extend him before October 31st, um, and it's a really interesting extension case. I've been asking everyone. What would your final offer be to Rodney Hood this extension period if you, if you were Dennis Lindsay? 
Uh, I'd offer probably no more than Alan Crab money. So what's that like four years, 72? And that's a lot, but I, but it sounds like a lot. But if you look at like percentage of the cap, it's actually not that bad, right? right. Um, for a player that I think could not just grow into that salary number, but make it look like a like a steal two years from now. Um, like I, I think he could end up being a guy who is worth you know four years, a hundred million dollars um, on this on this coming contract. Now he's not worth that now, but I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy to think he plays into that player. But like you know what we've seen the last couple of years, like he has to be healthy. And and especially now that Gordon's gone, he has to he has to kind of get into more of that playmaking role, which I think he's capable of doing. And I, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Like I think he, I think he's a pretty special shooter. I think he's a better shooter than his percentages have have shown. And I think that he can he can assume this greater responsibility. Um, but right now, like if you can get away with a four year seventy two million dollar extension, and he decides that's enough money for me, I, I like yeah, I mean that's that's that could be an incredible value in two years. Yeah, Alan Crabb's at four seventy five. By the way. Uh, yeah. Then, okay. So four. Yeah, I, I would take that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then I, w- I would also say, you know, I, I did an article on this recently, but you look at the guys like, uh, like Rodney Hood, who uh, figures to kind of lead the Jazz's perimeter attack next season. Even guys like Tobias Harris, Evan Fournier, kind of these iffy lead scorers, if you will, kind of lead scorers right. because they're not on a team with a number one option. And those guys do make $17, $18 million a year. Right, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the, that's the cap, right? Like the money's gone up. And so that's, that's the number you have to reach for these guys. Like how, how likely is it that in two years he's a much better player than Evan Fournier? Like I don't think, that that's, I don't think that's crazy at all. I'm no. also not a big Evan Fournier guy. But I also I look at it from the fact of like before Zach Levine tore his knee, he was probably looking – at like a, a four-year, ninety to hundred million dollar extension, right? Like just because, like, oh, that guy's got potential. He's a forty percent three-point shooter. Like he's a crazy athlete. Like we can mold him into something. Um, while I think Zach Levine's ceiling is higher than Rodney Hood's pre-injury, um, I don't think. Like I think the likelihood that Rodney Hood is a is a a better player all around for the next ten years than Zach Levine is also pretty high, right? So I like. I, granted, like you're kind of dealing with like potential versus um, versus what's more realistic, but like that's that's kind of the range you're looking at. Like, can he be anywhere from Evan Fournier to Zach Levine? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then the second question I'm asking everybody: just general Jazz prediction. Where do you think they will end up in the Western Conference? And uh, win total prediction. Prediction. You know, I'm, I I don't know if I'm gonna be the first one to answer the uh, one seed. One seed. Wow, I like no, it. No, not really. No. The Warriors are. <laughs> I've always said they were overrated. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Like, I they're so tough to figure out because they still have their defensive identity, which is huge. Like, for a lot of teams who are trying to, you know, trying to carve out a space in the Western Conference, which is even more insane this year, um, you need an identity. And so they're already ahead of the game in that because they have that defensive identity. They have Rudy. The, uh, the Rudy-Rubio combination defensively will be really good. They still have plenty of good veterans and young guys to build up and all this stuff. Um, but, they, but, you know, like, the crunch time – problems we saw two years ago i know they still have joe ingles they still have joe johnson and rodney hood can step forward and everything but the 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 stuff we saw with problems in crunch time a couple years ago used to snowball really for them and i could see that happening again so like i could see them win 46 games i could see them win 38 games i think they're in that range i'll say like 44 and they're the seven seed okay that, I mean, I, I think Jazz fans would take that at this point, and you know that's probably a, that's above their Vegas over under, which is forty and a half. Um, yeah, that, that's going to be really interesting. I, I, I think uh, you know there, there's kind of this talking point that it's 
impo- that no team with a top five defense has missed the playoffs this decade, right? Uh, and so just having that as your baseline is really encouraging. The other thing, by the way, while we're while we're talking about defense, that the Jazz put in these guys' contracts for Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert and et cetera, I, I think Joe Ingles has one of these too, that if the team defensive rating while they're on the floor is less than 100 points, they get a bonus, is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole, like, you know, if you're giving Glenn Davis a, a, a contract, you say, hey, you got to be under 270 pounds, right? Like, I mean, this, this, there's incentive to be, to be a healthier team or a healthier player in, in some regard. And, if, and so if you're saying, hey, when you guys are on the floor and it's, it's under 100 points for 100 possessions allowed, uh, you're going to get this bonus. Like, guys like money. Even, yeah. even, even Rudy Gobert is making $25 million a year, right? Like, he still likes having that $200,000 bonus or whatever it ends up being. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how much that incentivizes guys. Even, like, with technicals, guys don't pick up technicals, so they don't have to pay $1,000 to charity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, mean I, I talked to uh, – there was a stretch uh, a few years ago in Minnesota where Greg Steensmo was just getting into fights, like, or getting into skirmishes or kerfuffles, as he would say, <laughs> uh, every, couple, every couple of games. And there was, like, a stretch where, like, Chris Paul went after him, Ray Allen went after him, uh, Jarrett Jack went after him, Matt Barnes went after him. And we asked him after the game – I was like, hey, man, like, how come none of these are coming to blows? Like, no one's actually throwing punches. And he said, oh, no one wants to lose that, that check. Uh, and we were like, isn't it like $2,500? It's like, nobody wants to lose $2,500. <laughs> I, I think that's true. I certainly do not. No, I, I mean, like, whatever the equivalent of, the, of that is, if someone was like, hey, if you screw up, this is going to cost you $100, I would be devastated. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get him fights for $100. All right. right. Anyway. We got to take a break, but uh, Zach, thanks for joining us. Tell everyone where we can we can see your stuff. Uh, FanRagSports.com uh, in the NBA section, and at you know the nonsense on Twitter at Talk Hoops. And a theater near you, or probably far from you, if you're if we're honest. Given. Well, yeah, you know, if you're in LA, come to the Hollywood Improv. I'll probably be there. Okay, cool. Uh, everyone, that's Zach Harper. Thanks again to Zach for joining us. We're going to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got lots of jazz notes to talk about. Me and JP will discuss what's going on in Jazzland next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Show. Andy Larson with you. I'm the Utah Jazz Beat Writer for KSL.com, Managing Editor of SaltCityHoops.com. You can find me on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, you can feel free to tweet me there. We've got one from our usual commenter, Giorgio Spinias, listening all the way from Greek Greece. He's Greek and listens from Greece uh, every week when we do the show. Says Ekpe Udo is going to be the surprise player of the year for the Utah Jazz. He played great in Euroleague last year. He really did. He was a Euroleague MVP, really broke the hearts of Fenerbahce fans when he left that team to go back to the NBA. They said, You said we were special. And uh, he, he let them down. But he does get an NBA contract, a chance to play in the best league in the world. And um, although it's only one year guaranteed, he wanted to play for the Jazz in this Quinn Snyder system, which is becoming pretty popular for international players. The Jazz, once again, lead the NBA with number of international players. They've got eight on the roster so far and still have, I believe, I think it's two more training camp spots left that they could use on international guys if they wanted to. 
Uh, although those guys probably want to sign overseas for longer guaranteed money. But anyway, um, we've got JP Chunga here producing the show all all two hours long. But I want to loop him in on some of these jazz topics of the day because we've got jazz jersey opinions. You know, we've seen this jazz jersey leak, this yellow gold. Uh, JP, you called it a mustard color. It looks like mustard. It looks like something that you'd put on a hot dog. And I'm not just out of the blue uh, offended by yellow as a color to go right. to. If you like RSL, uh, they had the victory beautiful, gold. yeah, beautiful yellow victory gold jerseys. They never wanted them. The the victory gold was a lie, but they <laughs> anyway they were they were good jerseys. It was still the year that they went to the Champions League final. That's a good point, if I remember correctly, but. Um, I'm not. A, I'm not against yellow. I'm not against the color. But these have not the right shade. They look a little. They look like mustard. I. I. And personally, I don't like mustard. I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I don't even like ketchup. I'm weird like that. I don't put anything on a hot dog. Well, see, now you just like dis- you. You ruined your opinion by just <laughs> a bad take. Now yeah, you've, you've you've just got bad taste in mustards and ketchup, and we can't trust you about anything now. But. Uh, with regards to this jersey, you're not alone in terms of how many people dislike it. So, you know, when I posted this this screenshot leak on Twitter, I got 71 replies and only 12 retweets. And th- when that happens to you, that's that's a a sign of a of a bad thing. That's the hashtag slash line. Uh, 71 pretty negative responses to what this jazz jersey looks like. It's uh, the ratio is another yeah. name for it. I love the ratio. The ratio knows all, especially when it comes to opinions like that. And yeah, yellow for a jazz uniform, not great. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a yellow that makes this jazz jersey work. I don't think that as is, as sparse as this is, it does look like a junior jazz jersey a little bit. I'll say this. I've seen like more professional mock-ups than someone taking a picture of their TV screen with the jazz jersey on it, and it does look better with like real players in it with, you know, kind of the ball in their hands and on the jazz court and everything else. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say it looks good. <laughs> Have you, uh, you did some reporting on this earlier. Uh, yeah. Uh, about how purple was not going to be involved in this. Yeah. How did these, how did these uh, colors get selected for these alternate? My understanding is Nike does the first draft of them, um, kind of taking into account the team's, uh, obviously their history, their logo, kind of their, uh, I don't know, ambiance, if you will, their kind of uh, way of, uh, aesthetic way, if you will. So Utah's yellow? Uh, you, I mean, gold is one of the Jazz's colors. It's in the note. So I get, like, why it's an eligible color to make one of these jerseys out of. I think Nike wanted to make a splash with their alternate jersey, and instead of going with the green that Adidas did last year, they went with the, the gold. And well, it's uh, it's controversial. I I think again, I think a gold jersey can work. I do think that they went way too sparse with this look. It's so the gold going to the note. So is it an instrument? Are they trying to go brass saxophone? It's Mardi Gras colors, right? It's from the team's roots in New Orleans when they had the gold, green, and purple. Now it's gold, green, and blue. It's I mean, it's all this. It's we're not in New Orleans. No, we're not, but those are still the team colors, all right? And I, I don't think it's a bad set of colors. I think the Jazz have a really creative color scheme. I don't think you need what was an accent color to all of a sudden become one of your primary colors. Exactly. I mean, this yellow makes sense for 
for Mardi Gras. I get that now. Now now I'm starting to okay. get now the wheels in my brain are turning on. <laughs> Proud that. of you. But I mean yellow for uh, yellow for Utah makes me immediately think of the beehive, right? Right. Or um a bee. And that what is, purple is perfect for the state. See, just, yeah. just as far as as relating to with Nike to the beehive state. And yep, and again there will not be a purple jer- jersey this year. Every team with Nike is getting four different jerseys. And so we haven't seen the Jazz's fourth jersey yet. I'm told it's it's cooler than than this third one. Uh and I'm also told that it is it has to do with the city or the um the the state as a whole. So they may go something like arches themed or they may go something like mountain themed, although again not purple. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing with like this city community idea, but th- I think this fourth jersey is going to be a little bit wild. Well, if you ask Donovan Mitchell, the city would also be represented by P.F. Chang's as something to go to. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so Donovan Mitchell did this NBA video thing, and he said his favorite restaurant in town was P.F. Chang's. And I know he hasn't been here for that long, but someone's got to show Donovan something better here in town. What's your favorite restaurant here, JP? To, for dinner, it would yeah. have to be one of the Market Streets. All right, that's one fair. Of, one of the gastronomy uh, restaurants, they're always good. And then um, breakfast, obviously, the park. We shout them out all the time here yeah. on ESPN 700. Park Cafe is great. I had lunch at the, or I had breakfast up at the Straw Market up in the Avenues, and, and that was spectacular. They had cheap sandwiches and everything else. Um, but they're just better choices than than P.F. Chang, so I hope Donovan does better. we got to take a break, but we've got Dan Clayton coming back on the other side. You're listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show here on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. Welcome into the second hour of the show. We've got two guests so far who have been on. We've got Andy Bailey of Bleacher Report and uh, who did we have last segment? Zach Harper. I forgot about Zach already. He left and now I'm forgetting about him. Uh, So we have those guys in the first hour. As always, you can download the show as a podcast on saltcityhoops.com or on ESPN700sports.com if you missed any of the show. And now in the second hour, we've got two more great guests coming up. Dan Clayton, the associate editor of Salt City Hoops, will join me now. And then Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune will join me at the 830 segment. But for now, let's go ahead and welcome on Dan Clayton. Dan, how are you? That is a heavy lineup. I I mean, I'm following Andy and Zach and getting things warm for Tony. That's uh, that's an honor. I, I had to call in some favors with Ben gone, so I, I couldn't host a show myself. I needed you guys to help me out with each of these segments. But I figured it'd be kind of fun with a lot of like different perspectives, I guess. Sure, yeah. Uh, the, oddly, there's stuff going on in this September of basketball. There is, and so like Media Day is 10 days away. It's September 25th. And uh, I leave for the UK. I'm going to London and Edinburgh literally tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m. And I already feel like I'm going to miss so much. Yeah, squeezing one in right before the season starts. That's, uh, that's smart. I'm guessing this is a, a, a soccer trip, a footy trip. Uh, it's not. I mean, uh, admittedly, I will see Tottenham uh, Swansea this Sunday or this Saturday, but JP is shaking his head at me. But um, I, <laughs> other than that, that's the only soccer game that me and my girlfriend are going to go see. That she's that's the only one she would let me see. Okay. Well, you know, still sounds like a good opportunity to blow off some steam before the sprint begins. Yes. You're right. We're coming down to it. Uh, 
So I want to ask you first, I, I don't know how much we've talked about Donovan Mitchell. You know, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about like Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, and we may get into that. But um, I, I wanted to start talking to you about what realistic expectations look like for Donovan Mitchell for his rookie season and also his career, kind of what your your overall thoughts are. Well, I, I mean, I think like most people, I'm excited about about what the Jazz have seen from him this summer um, as it relates to kind of his career and his skill set and things that he can maybe do over the long haul. I think I'm more tempered than some in terms of what I expect in year one just because so few rookies make a, a real um, significant win-loss impact to their team in year one. Um, and, and, you know, let's be frank, too, like he's looking up at some guys on on the depth chart, and that doesn't mean that – you know that doesn't mean that he can't play his way past some people, but you know he is on a spot in the depth chart where he's going to be battling with Rodney Hood, who may or may not be one of the Jazz's most important players this season. He's he's got to deal with you know today Tony had a feature on Alec Burks and how ready Alec Burks may or may not be. Um, you know some of the bigger wings might get minutes there in terms of JoJo and Thabo. Yeah. Um, and, and Dante Exum might get minutes at the two. So, you know, I, I, I guess I would just say, like, it's, o- it's okay, Jazz fans, if it doesn't happen from minute one for Donovan Mitchell. But, you know, I like what we've seen. The kid's athletic. He's fearless. Um, you know, he, he likes big shots. And, and most importantly, I think he likes to play defense. And when a guy likes to play defense, I think, um, you know, those, those are the guys who, as rookies, find, you know, their, their coaches find reasons to leave them on the floor. Yeah, and honestly, that those are the guys who stay in the league. And not that I, I think Donovan Mitchell will have a problem with that, but having that defensive mindset from day one really does make a difference, I think, in terms of, uh, again, how playable he is. And again, uh, another thing he, he talked about on his uh, on that NBA video was how he's already watched 60 of the 82 Jazz games from last season. Like, for him to do that level of film work, I think, is really unique among rookies. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, and and then I think the thing is, you know, seeing if that translates in terms of a quicker understanding of the system and the sets and, and knowing that, you know, the system and the sets are probably going to change a bit because the Jazz's best offensive player by a mile is, you know, somewhere else now. Um, but, you know, if like we'll see here in a couple of weeks when the Jazz uh, face the Sydney Kings, not to be um, confused with the more pedestrian and hapless Sacramento Kings, <laughs> um, you know, when the preseason starts on October 2nd, I, I think we'll get a chance to see how much of that kind of knowledge and understanding translates. I will say, I, I think from a, from a summer league standpoint with Donovan, most of what I saw that sort of impressed me and, and made me feel bullish about his future wasn't necessarily, and, and I, I'm going to be careful here, I'm not I'm not saying that he didn't make smart basketball plays. I'm saying that when he stood out, it was usually because he made an athletic move or he had an energetic play or he made an impact on the game, you know, through, through energy. Um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, again, I'm not denigrating him here. Like, yeah. the, that stuff usually comes later for young players, right? Later a young player figures out how to kind of attack schemes and, and find defensive weaknesses and, and all that, you know, like, People should be happy if that comes in, you know, a couple or three years. But certainly, it's it's nice to see him putting in the, um, you know, putting in the hours in the summer and doing the homework. 
Um, I've been kind of, I, I talked about this with Andy Bailey a little bit, um, and it won't surprise you to, to hear that he's very pro Dante Exum in, in this equation, but do you think, uh, Donovan or Dante will be getting more minutes this season? Yeah, I don't know. Um, right. I, I mean, mean it, it's, it's an impossible prediction, right? Cause we're, we're not the guys who are making those decisions, but it's, it's interesting to think about. I mean, here's the thing. I, I think logically, in any other scenario, I would say Dante, and it's mostly just the fact that, um, you know, he was in and out of the doghouse last year, and there were certain situations that Quinn Snyder just didn't want to play him in that makes me wonder about that. I think, I, again, going back to the three summer league games that they played together, um, they were both really impressive. They were both really important to what the summer league jazz were doing on the court. But I felt like Dante Exum was controlling the game for the Jazz. I felt like he was kind of, I, I don't know about best player on the floor, because I think they kind of took turns there, but I think Dante was the more kind of calming impact, the, the better leader on the floor. And I think that can translate to, you know, okay, who are they going to trust with minutes when it's, you know, January and you're rolling into San Antonio on a Tuesday night or whatever. Um, it's just, you know, the caveat is, Dante still is really up and down, and and I'm you know like Andy Bailey, I'm a I'm a big Dante guy. I, I still believe in Dante quite a bit, but I'm also realistic to the fact that you know he didn't always play well last year, and there were times where it was easy to see why Quinn Snyder grabbed the hook and and yanked Dante back to his seat. So I think that's the big thing. Um, you know, he by all accounts has had a pretty focused and good summer, and he stayed in Salt Lake City for most of the summer to work with the coaches. So, you know, that's, that's a big one to watch. I, I think my default answer is, is Dante, if you're going to put a gun to my head. But yeah. don't put a gun to my head. That's just rude. That's, yeah, that's, that's a felony, I'm pretty sure, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, before we get into the law, uh, things I, I told you I'd, I'd ask you about. Uh, Ricky Rubio, in, in his play during Eurobasket so far, what have your impressions been? Um, yeah, I mean... I think I think he's looked good. I, I think the big thing is being able to hit spot threes, and you don't know how real that is over an eight-game sample. Um, but certainly the fact that he did it for a portion of last year at a, at a decent clip and then has continued to do it in the summer tells you that you know maybe maybe something's there. And the thing is with Rub- with uh, with Rubio is like if you watch him shoot, like I was I was watching today's game and and even the ones that he missed. Or if you watch him shoot free throws, like, everything's there. There's nothing structurally wrong with his shot. There's no reason why you go, man, that guy should be a 30% free, uh, three-point shooter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes he shoots a little flat, but, like, other than that, you know, structurally, his shot looks okay. And so seeing him shoot, you know, the 40% that he has in the eight games so far, um, you know, makes you wonder if playing opposite some really good role men and – Rudy Gobert is one of the best role men, and and Derek Favors has been a very good role man. If he can get back to that, so playing opposite some really good role men, you know, who knows? And and the bigger I, the bigger point I think that that should excite people about Ricky is the is the impact he'll have on those role men. I mean, think about it. Think about Pekovic. Think about how good people thought Pekovic was. And think about Kevin Love having you know far and away the best years of his career playing next to Ricky. And, and granted, then he went to Cleveland and sacrificed touches because he was playing next to the King. But, you know, like, Ricky has made a lot of big men look very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if I were Rudy or Derek, I think I'd be excited to play on the other end of that pick and roll. Yeah, certainly. I've been, you know, I, I, you, you mentioned the three-point percentage goes up and down, and it's only 
eight games, but that he's taken so many of them, averaging four and a half per game, um, and and the most he's ever averaged in a game is is two and a half threes per game, and in only 20 minutes of play, rather than playing you know 30, 35 like we project he will in a Jazz uniform this year. Right. That's a that's a very different Ricky Rubio than we've seen in his career so far. Well, to that point, I, I think the other thing that we're seeing is I think he's increasingly conscious of the fact that. Um, his team can't get the looks they need to get if he's not a threat on the pick and roll. So I think we're seeing him pull up for a lot of mid-range stuff. I mean, you know, he did that last year too, and he actually hit them at a decent clip last year. But, you know, I I think he's just trying to make sure that he's, um, you know, kind of a dual threat and and forces teams to, um, you know, really think about how to play him instead of just, you know, I'm going to hug Gobert all the way to the rim because, we, you know, Rubio pulling up for an 18-footer or, or stepping back into a three isn't a threat. So I, I think you're right on the, on the three-point thing, but I just think shooting in general, I think he's trying to convince people and maybe convince himself a little bit that, hey, this is important to my, you know, my team, both his national team and, and the team that he'll be playing with here in 10 days. Um, you know, I, I think that's important, and I think that he's trying to establish that. There's, um, you mentioned the loss of the Jazz's best offensive player, and I think that that's fair, Gordon Hayward. Uh, oh, no, Jazz... I was talking about... Um, Boris? I don't know. I was going to make a joke there, and I couldn't... I, I've Boris was the Jazz's Boris, best yeah. offensive player. Embrace it. Trey Lyles. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Uh, do you think the Jazz will play faster next year in order to kind of compensate for that in, in any way? I mean, I think they almost have to. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, like, literally they almost have to because there's no way to, nowhere to go but up. Right. But, I, I mean, you know, Gordon, and this isn't a thing where, like, you know, everybody's mad, so I'm going to pretend like Gordon was never any good. Like, Gordon's very good, but one of the things Gordon did is, you know, there were times where he slowed down the ball so that he could, you know, size up a defender and go one-on-one. And, and by the way, George Hill kind of threw the brakes on a lot of plays, too. And, and I just think the fact that... Rubio is, is a guy who's used to looking down the court. We saw in Summer League that both Dante Exum and Donovan Mitchell are going to want to you know, keep the burners on when they come in ostensibly in the second unit. Um, I think the big question is, are there going to be bigs that are running with them? I, I, think, that's, I think that's the question. Because if it's, if it's just Rubio and, and Exum and, you know, and uh, it, Rudy, Rodney Hood, for example, has never been a big transition guy. He's never been a guy that has really said, you know, I'm going to put pressure on the defense. Um, so if it's just the, you know, the, the three point guards, Donovan Mitchell's really a combo guard, but if it's just those three guys wanting to run, I'm not sure it'll happen. If they get back to where, you know, there was a while there where Derek Favors was like one of the first guys down every trip. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, he's never been like a, a sprinter. He's never been Usain Bolt. But there was a time when Derek Favors got a lot of easy buckets just by beating his guy down the court and Certainly, Rudy can, can run selectively. Um, that's not his first priority. His first priority is making sure that the work is finished on the other end. But, but. he honestly does it more than kind of bigs of his ilk. I was looking at these numbers in, in terms of uh, how many of their baskets were in transition, and, and compared to guys like you know DeAndre Jordan, Miles Turner, those you know kind of traditional centers, if you will, um, he, he does it more than most. He, I think it's something like 7% of his possessions last year. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, the guy just has like an insane motor, right? So right. If there's a way to get an edge. An, an edge, I think he'll, uh, I think he'll do that. And and I actually think, you know, 
I think there's a good chance that Rudy is going to be um, – I wouldn't put my money, I wouldn't drive to Vegas and put my money on he's going to lead the Jazz in scoring, but I think there's a good chance he might be the Jazz's most important or, or like second most important offensive player. I just, I just think what he, you know, what he causes the defense to have to worry about and things like that and, and the way he can start possessions at the other end, like, like you're right, and then, and then transition and the fact that he'll make a play defensively and then beat everyone down. I think that's important. And I, and I think to the original question, yeah, I mean, they're going to have opportunities if, if they want to run selectively. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you. I kind of think uh, Rodney, it, you know, Rodney Hood probably, probably the leader in the clubhouse in terms of the Jazz's leading scorer next year. But I, I think there's like an honest, honest to God real chance that Rudy Gobert may be that guy if he, you know, continues that level of improvement. And honestly, just from that, Ricky Rubio gives dump passes more than Gordon Hayward and, and George Hill do. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I'm there on Rodney Hood leading the Jazz in scoring. Okay. Or, or put differently, I think if Rodney Hood leads the Jazz in scoring, they might be a 35-win team. Interesting. Okay, so then what does a 45-win team look like? Um. I'm not sure yet because I think it depends on how good Derek Favors is, okay. um, as well as yeah, as well as you know all the other questions of like you know is is uh, is Dante going to finally make the jump that people have been wanting to be ma- wanting him to make? Is Donovan back to that conversation point? Is Donovan going to be ready for minutes right away and, and ready for a big role right away? But I I think I mean if you look at the if you look at guys. Look at look at wings who like Rodney shot below average um, per possession shooting, right? So like sub fifty three on true shooting, um, with with around his attempts per thirty six minutes and around his um, kind of macro value in terms of win share or warp or whatever you want to use. If you look at that list of guys, I, I don't think there's a huge precedent of a guy like that turning around in the next year being an all-star. So, cause I looked, I, I looked this up um, and you know, the names on the list around, around Rodney are, are names like James Posey and Russell Butler and Jason Richardson and um, you know, Ryan Gomes, Troy Hudson, CJ miles. I actually, well, that was, that was jazz era CJ miles, by the way, yeah. the best names on this list are guys like Jamal Crawford and J.R. Smith who were like, who at that point, at those points in their career, we're talking about 2012 J.R. Smith and 2003 Jamal Crawford, like at that point in their careers, they were kind of like the super sub type profile. But I just, you know, to take a guy in that situation and and say, okay, you're going to be our number one guy. I mean, look at Harrison Barnes, you know, Harrison Barnes was a much more efficient and versatile scorer than Rodney Hood. Mm -hmm. And then they made him the number one option uh, and, and the team just, you know, like it, it's right. just we're not talking about a guy who's already an efficient scorer and they're going to give him a bigger load and hope he sustains it. We're talking about a guy who right now costs the Jazz value on his possessions. So they want him to correct that while increasing possessions, and I'm just not sure that that's a recipe for success. Now, I know that's what they're saying. I know that's what Quinn and Dennis have been saying all summer is that, hey, we've asked Rodney to step up and, and play a bigger role and all that. I'm just not sure that... If that's the if that's the formula, I, I'm I'm not sure that that equates to a playoff team. 
So and then I guess your playoff team formula requires kind of a, a surprising leap from somebody else, if you will, from Donovan or Dante or Derek Favors. You know, I, maybe it's not so surprising from Derek Favors, but someone else has to be your lead guy in an efficient way. Yeah, yeah. Well, or or it's kind of a committee thing where, like, Rodney gets back to a semi-efficient 15 a game and Derek gets back to you know, 16 and 8 that he used to do. And Rudy gets a little better, you know, like, what was he, 12 last year? So, you know, you can probably get him up to 15 or 16 as an, as an incremental step, and maybe more down the line. But, I, you know, like, he's also not a guy that you necessarily draw plays for. Like, he's going to score out of the pick and roll. He's going to score. So, See, so Rudy was at 14 a game last year. Uh and the thing that really encouraged me about that was how he ended the year, too. You look at his March and April numbers, where March he averaged 17.3 points a game, April 16.3 points a game. You know, again, this is kind of the, the Ricky Rubio corollary, the, the like, no one's corollary, the, the, the no one's going to be uh, probably as good as their best months of the season. But I, I think he's shown some ability to put up those kind of scoring numbers. Yeah, yeah. And, and Favors has, too. Like, there are guys on this team that have been there, that have, that have kind of walked the walk. So before I just assume that, you know, Rodney's going to be the guy to take up the, the mantle and, and do 18 a game, I mean, he's done 18 a game for like a month at a time. He's never sustained it for longer than that. And even when he was doing 18 for a month at a time, it was, it was on kind of like league average efficiency. So, you know, again, if that's, if that's what you're getting, if that's the guy that you make your offensive centerpiece, I mean, let's not forget, this, this guy is a very good basketball player, but he's a very good basketball player who, like, lost his starting job, like, a few months ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was coming off the bench in the playoffs. Um, so I think when, it, when I think about Rodney, you know, I'm doing the exercise of, like, you know, how many guys on the team could, without, without being, like, too crazy or imaginative, how many guys could actually have a better year than him? And, like, on that list, you kind of have to put guys like Joe Ingles because Joe Ingles outplayed him and, and won a starting spot and, and started in the playoffs and guarded J.J. Redick and wreaked havoc and helped the Jazz advance. And so, you know, it, I, I just I, – I'm, I'm worried about the Jazz saying, you know, we're just going to give 20 possessions tonight to Rodney Hood and see how it goes. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. He's obviously a very good player. Yeah, and I, I really think, you know, obviously he'll say that he was injured. I think the Jazz will say that he was injured, and that was the result of some of those slumps last year. But even when he was healthy, again, like you point out, he did average 18 a game for a month, and it was still at average-ish efficiency. So I think that's it's fair to say that, you know, he's got to make it up in two ways. He's got to both get healthy and get better and take on more possessions. I guess that's three different ways uh, and in order to be kind of this player that, that I guess maybe they've asked him to be, which, you know, maybe you ask high and, and if he delivers two out of three, you're, you're pretty happy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's clear that they challenged him because they wanted him to, to have a big summer and, and to be hungry for more. And you're never going to go into your exit meeting and be like, yeah, I don't know, just hang out this summer, you know. <laughs> so, like, it's good that they are um, challenging him to imagine being a, a bigger player part of what they do it's it's good that they're challenging him to get better at his game um just again not a lot of players go in in you know one season from where he was last season to being you know a 19 a game scorer on a playoff team yeah uh i've asked two i've asked 
all of our guests this question, and I'll ask you as well, what would your final offer be to Rodney Hood in this this uh, extension period before October 31st? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're not going to get him for less than 15 or 16 a year, I don't think. Okay. Like a like a 460, four year 60 million is probably like if you if you offer him less than that, his agent is going to tell you to jump in a lake and he'll see you next year in a restricted free agency. So I think the question becomes how much higher than that are you willing to go to to get him locked up and to get a deal done now? And for all the reasons I just said, Andy, like I'm, I'm worried about that decision for the Jazz. I think that is going to be a tough decision. I think it's going to be a decision that could um, have repercussions later if he's not one of the top players. I mean, like again, let's let's do the exercise. And I know I'm answering a question with a question, but yeah. who are the guys? Where, where do you think Rodney will rank in terms of macro value to the Jazz's win-loss total in 2017-2018? Do you think, like, obviously, like Rudy's third? probably going to Okay, third behind who? Rudy and just someone? Rudy and Ricky or Rudy and Derek, you know? Uh, yeah, somewhere in there. Okay. So I, I could buy third. I could buy second if things go really well. Yep. Um, I could buy fourth if you, you know, because yeah. there's a chance that Ricky and Derek are as good as they need to be to be better than Rodney, right? Sure. Um, and then again, like I said, you, you have to you have to at least – entertain the idea that Joe Ingles could be that important since Joe Ingles was that important relative to, the, relative to Rodney last year. So if you're talking about someone who might be – and by the way, I think that's where the list ends. Like if anyone else is better than Rodney next year, then the Jazz are sitting really pretty because it means that someone has taken you know, the leap that, yeah. that people have been wanting. But if you're talking about someone who might be your fourth or fifth best player next year and, and paying them not like – superstar money but paying them pretty solid starter money for the next four seasons it's kind of like how four years ago um you know you you kind of had to pay alec burks four years 42 million just because he was part of that quote-unquote core four and when you're rebuilding it's you know you you got to retain the young talent that you've acquired and so like it was like the jazz kind of had to do it but then they also wound up committing what was at the time starter money to a guy who they just sort of assumed was going to keep getting better, and he hasn't, and injuries are a part of that. But now you're at a point in time where, like, Alec Burks' contact is kind of hard to move, and it's, you know, yeah. kind of going to be a problem for the Jazz going forward if, if they continue to um, see young guys get better and have to pay everybody. So, you know, that's the thing with Rodney. So when you start talking about getting up into $17, $18 million, I mean, like, Really, is there a big difference between eighteen million and sixteen million, like on a year-to-year basis? No, not really. But I think I would be nervous to go. I, I think I'd be nervous to go much higher than that. Okay. Although, again, I recognize that at a level, the Jazz just have to keep him because you can't lose Gordon Hayward and then turn around and lose Rodney Hood the next summer. Right. And but so luckily, you've got the matching building. rights, right? So, like, it's it's not like it's Gordon Hayward's scenario. And if you don't give him an extension this year, then you, you keep some free agency money for next summer. Although mm-hmm. how much that's going to be is, is kind of up in the air. Um, we got to take a break real quick, but I, I do have one more question to ask you that I asked the other guests. It's just kind of your general, where you think the Jazz will finish in the Western Conference and their win total really quick. Okay. Oh, right now. Okay. Yes, right now. Uh, 
I would go, uh, I would say sixth through eighth, and I'm still thinking mid to high 40s. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right, everyone, that's Dan Clayton, associate editor of Salt City Hoops uh, and also writer for FanRag. Um, yeah, tell everyone where we can follow you on Twitter as well. Oh, did we lose Dan? We lost Dan. All right. Well, bummer. You can follow Dan at Dan Clayton. I was going to let him tell us, but we we can tell you. It's Dan Clayton, but with a zero instead of an O. You can follow him on Twitter there. Uh, we got to go ahead and take a break. On the next side, on the other side of this break, we've got Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune joining us. We'll ask him about the Utah Jazz and all the things he's reported over the last few weeks. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show here on ESPN 700. The analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. I'm Andy Larson. Let's go ahead and bring in Tony Jones, the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Tony, how are you? Man, how you doing? Good. It's been a second since I've seen you. It's good to hear your voice. I mean, you know, summer's almost over. We're about a week away from uh, from training camp, and uh, we're about uh, however long ago from a screen door in Portland. And <laughs> yeah, it's time. It's time to get it. It's time to get it going. That was a milestone. If, if any of our audience hasn't ever been has been to Portland, but not to the screen door there, it's a, it's a fantastic soul food, great chicken. Uh, restaurant there, and, and I recommend that you check it out. Even though you you got to wait in line for about an hour to get in, but the wait is worth it, isn't it? But here's the thing: do it on cheat day. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's it's a lot of calories. Uh, is your diet going well, by the way? It's it's going it's going well. So okay. I, I it is. I'm just uh, kind of scared about going on the road, but other yeah. than that, I'm good. Good. Uh, so you, you reported talks earlier, uh, what was that, last week, about uh, that there had been at least preliminary contact between Rodney Hood and the Utah Jazz. And I, I kind of wanted to get your feeling about um, what the likelihood is that Rodney Hood does get signed to an extension, um, kind of what your feeling is for hearing that from both parties. Well, I think, here's the thing, I think, I actually think it's advantageous for the Jazz not to, to sign him. Um, unless, you know, Rodney really, you know, signs in that Alec Burks four and forty two uh million dollar range and I, I just don't see that at all. Um, you know, here's the thing. Even if Rodney Hood goes out and averages twenty five points, seven rebounds, six assists a game, um, the Jazz are gonna have enough room to max him out max out any offer that he gets pretty easily. And the other thing is, because he was the 22nd pick, he was the 22nd pick, right? Right. Yes, because he was the 22nd pick of the 23rd? draft. What was it? Anyway, go ahead. I think it was 22nd or 23rd, one of those two. Um, because he was in the 20s uh, in the draft, his cap hold is going to be super low, mm-hmm. which means the Jazz can use that cap hold in the first whatever few days of free agency and go after other free agents and still – be able to resign, uh, be able to resign Rodney, you know, or match any offer that he gets. So, you know, that combined with the fact that the Jazz are going to want to see him uh, be healthy, and combined with the fact that they're going to want to see him perform, um, you know, I, I would put the odds at fifty-fifty at best, uh, and I, I would 
pretty much tend to think that uh, a, a deal is not going to get done, and he's going to—they're they're, going to have him test restricted free agency. Yeah, his cap hold is seven point one million dollars. So you know, whatever he makes, it's going to be more than that, whether it's an extension or free agency. Certainly, uh, and you know, being able to use that free agency cap space, like you said, would would be. Would be nice for the Jazz. Um, is there any worry that you know you go out there and and don't give him an extension and you you have some bad feelings? Kind of, I, I don't know. Those were kind of reported with regards to Gordon Hayward. Yeah, I I don't think the Jazz can worry like that about that, and I don't think they can do business like that. I don't think any team can do business like that. I think you know it's the NBA is a business, and here's the thing: Gordon Hayward was a completely different player in 2014 than he was now. We thought that, you know, he was a nice player and he was a nice piece and the jazz developed him and, and Gordon developed himself and he turned into a monster. And, you know, I, I think that if you're holding on to stuff, you know, that happened three years prior or four years prior or whatever, um, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, less of a, that's less of a, you know, I'm really holding on to this and more of a, hey, I just really wanted to leave, leave the Jazz. And I think that that's what happened with Gordon because I think the Jazz did everything right. I think we're all in agreement that they did everything right. And they did everything right in terms of sequence. And, you know, they traded for Ricky Rubio in large part because Gordon Hayward wanted to play play for him, uh, play with him. And, you know, and Gordon still left. So that just tells me, that Gordon Hayward simply didn't want to play for the Jazz anymore, and whether you know they had matched that, all, they had uh, been able to, to to reach a deal with him in 2014 or not. Uh, what happened in free agency in July of 2017 was still going to happen. Gotcha. Um, it is now the off season, and, and you know guys have been working on their games. Like we we talked about how the Jazz have asked Rodney to to kind of lead the team or at least expect to lead the team and work on his game and as if he's going to be getting those touches this upcoming season. But I want to ask you about some some other off-seasons for some other jazz players, especially some guys who we, we haven't seen maybe the most of in in their careers, uh, or at least last season. First off, Derek Favors, how's his off-season gone? Well, he slimmed down, and, you know, I think the, um, I think that the hope is that the the the, the lesser weight can – can uh, help him with the durability of his knee. And, you know, the thing with Derek is I, I think that he's just hungry. Uh, and I think that he's hungry to to show that last season was a fluke for him and, you know, that he's a guy that that, that can really be counted on on both ends of the floor. You know, the thing, about, the thing about guys in contract seasons, and Derek is in a contract season, I mean, you know, it's the Trevor Ariza thing. You know, Trevor Ariza turns into one of the top ten small forwards in the league every time, every contract season. It's like a running joke in this <laughs> league. So, you know, and and I think you know Derek's going to have a lot of incentive to perform on both ends. And I think that he sees himself uh, on the open market as a guy who can approach a hundred million dollars. Wow. Uh, and, and this is going to be his payday. He signed, you know, a really team-friendly uh, deal uh, on his second contract, and that was coming off of his rookie contract. So he hasn't gotten paid. So I, I think you're going to see Derek Favors that's going to play extremely hard, that's going to play extremely well, or that's going to try to play extremely well and and see kind of see where the chips fall where they may, uh, whether it be with the Jazz or whether it be with another team. Uh, Alec Burks, you had an article on him, but how's his offseason been? 
Um, well, he spent his offseason playing at UCLA and, and playing with, you know, people like Paul George and James Harden. Uh, he worked out, you know, he's worked really closely with uh, strength coach Jeff, Jeff Watkinson, um, you know, just kind of on the durability of his leg, the strengthening in his leg. You know, he's another guy that's kind of slimmed down a little bit, uh, and he's another guy that's, that's really hungry and really ready for training camp to start. You know, the thing about Alec is, you know, he's going to have to really play himself into the lineup. You know, for the first time in his career, you know, he's going to be starting a season in a situation where uh, playing time is not going to be promised to him. So it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that, how he deals with uh, the fact that, you know, he may not play all that much. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the upside in terms of if he's the Alec Burks of two or three years ago, you know, the the athletic Alec Burks, the guy that can get, get his own shot, the guy that can get out and, and, and run the floor, uh, then he offers uh, some value to, to Quinn Snyder's lineup. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he reacts and how his body reacts and, and, uh, and, and what kind of depth that he can provide, that he can provide and, and where he uh, falls into the rotation. Do you know anything about Dante Exum's offseason thus far, after, really after Summer League? Well, I've heard that he's played well. And um, I've heard that, that he's been kind of back and forth between here in Los Angeles uh, a lot and working out in L.A. a lot. Um, you know, and he's another guy. I mean, the Jazz, it's a, you know what's going to amazing this year is how many guys that are just going to be in contract years that are going to have, like, all the incentive in the world to go out and, and play really well. And Dante is another uh, – Dante Exum is another one of those guys. I mean, he's in his fourth year. I don't expect the Jazz to, 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 have, to give him a contract extension. Uh, so he's probably going to get the restricted free agency next summer. And, you know, he's another guy that's, that's going to be playing for his market value uh, in, in, in all probability. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he can break out. You know, this is the first summer uh, in his NBA career that he's been able to exclusively, extensively work on his game and his skill set. And, you know, everything that I'm hearing behind the scenes is that he's really responded well and that uh, you're probably going to see a, a, a different player. Do you think that contract year phenomenon can be harmful to a team? You know, you have too many guys on a contract year and everyone's just looking to get their own? Well, I think it can if, you're, if you have the wrong dynamic uh, in the locker room. Um, but I think, you know, the Jazz you know, don't have a wrong dynamic in the locker room. I think that they have a really good locker room and a strong locker room. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of veterans on this team uh, as well. Um, so I, I don't think that that's applicable to the Jazz. Maybe he, maybe it can be uh, in a vacuum with one or two guys. But, you know, most of the guys on this team, you know, none of them uh, have, have been malcontents at any points of their career. So, you know, I, I think – you know, I think if you, you know, were with the Sacramento Kings or you're with the team that, you know, has no hope of being in with the playoffs, there's, there's, you know, some kind of motivation to kind of go and get yours, uh, so to speak. But, you know, I think with the Jazz, I think a lot of these guys are going to be playing and, and trying to make the playoffs and trying to play hard and, and trying to see uh, where the chips may fall. All right, we've asked every guest two questions. One, we've already talked about the Rodney Hood extension with you, but I asked everyone what their final offer would be for Rodney Hood. Just so you know, we got a lot of 460, we got a 464, we got a 475 
I think we got a 472 uh, is what we ended up with. So just kind of to give you an idea there. But I the, the second question I asked is just their general Utah Jazz prediction. What Where you think the Jazz will finish in the Western Conference and, and a win total projection for this team? Um, I, I think with Ronnie Hood, I think I'd probably, if I were to Jazz, I'd probably cut it off around the 465, 468 range. Um and I say that because I actually think Rodney's going to have a really good year. Uh, I think that, you know, as long as he's healthy, uh, I, I think that he plays really well. When he knows specifically that he's the number one option, uh, there have been, you know, uh, there have been games that he's been without Gordon Hayward that he's really played well uh, because he knows he's had to be aggressive. Uh, and I think that I think that with Rodney, I think that he was a different player uh, in the first half of the season, as opposed to the second half of the season, after the hyperextended knee, and, which he never really recovered from. So I, I think 4-68 and 68, um, would probably be fair on both sides. I know that Rodney's side, they're looking, and they're looking a little bit uh, higher than that, but I think that they would uh, want to negotiate a fair deal because I think Rodney likes it here and wants to be here. Okay. Um, as for the win total, uh, I think the Jazz are going to be better than people, uh, than outsiders think. And I think it wouldn't be surprised, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see them in that 45 to 50 win range. Um, thing about it is for even 50 wins in the Western Conference this year is probably, it might not be better, might not get you better than the sixth seed. Yeah. Uh, because this is a really, really, really strong West. But, you know, I think that the Jazz last year, uh, they were a 51 one. They were a 51 win team officially, uh, but I think with health they could have been a 55 to 57 win team. And I think uh, without Gordon Hayward, I think uh, with health, if they stay completely healthy, I think that they are a 45, 48, 50 win team. Okay, cool. All right. Well, everyone, that's Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune. Will you just let them know where where they can follow you on Twitter? You can follow me on Trib Jazz T R I B J A Z Z. Uh, if you want to hear uh, me rant against Kirk Cousins, you can follow <laughs> me on on T Jones at SL, T Jones SL Trip, T J O N E S S L T R I B. Those are uh, hot rap takes as well on on T Jones SL Trip. They are not hot takes at all. Rick Ross has been the best hip hop artist of the last ten years. Wow! All right. See that? Yeah, that was a hot. That take. was a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> That was scorching hot. You, you, yeah, you, you said no hot takes, and here's a very, very, very <laughs> scorching take. All right. Uh, thanks, Tony, for joining us. I'll, I'll see you next Monday. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. All right. See ya. All right. That's Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune. We got to go ahead and take our final break of the show. Coming up, we've got a few more jazz news and notes to cover here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. A home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. We're in our final segment. Thank you so much to Andy Bailey, Zach Harper, Dan Clayton, and Tony Jones for joining us on the show today. They were my co-host fill-ins for uh, Ben Anderson, who's out today. But I got four of the greatest 
uh, jazz media members there are to come in for a segment and give me their thoughts about what's going on with the jazz, with Ricky Rubio, with Eurobasket, with Rodney Hood's extension coming up, uh, whether or not the jazz will run faster or run more next year, run it all next year. Uh, all sorts of stuff. The Jazz is off-seasons. Check out that an interview with Tony Jones if you missed it, kind of breaking down what happened with what Derek Favors, Alec Burks, uh, Dante Exum have been up to during their off-seasons. That was, that was really cool. Um, also, thanks to J.P. Chunga for producing today. We're also going to talk with J.P. for, what, a few minutes here about what's going on in Jazzland. Um, four, exact, four minutes to be exact. Uh, a lot of like little little notes around the Jazz that we should probably mention just to keep our listeners informed. Uh, they signed their second two-way contract guy, Nate Walters. You may remember him from the Milwaukee Bucks or the Iowa State Cyclones. No, actually, Naz Long was Iowa State. Uh, Nate Walters was South Dakota State. Sorry to mix those up. But um, Nate Walters, any opinions, JP? I've got nothing on Nate Walters. Nate Walters. All right, here are my Nate Walters takes. Okay, what do you um, got? Nate Walters... Had his rookie season with the Bucks, he had one of the best plus minuses of all time. Like literally, the Bucks were ten points better when he was on the floor. Uh, and it won't surprise you when I tell you who his backup was. It was Brandon Knight. Uh, and so that that explains okay, a lot well. of what was what was going on there. And then Nate Walters was waived the next season. But uh, the point is, he looked real good for a season and uh, has done since then. After that, he uh, was. Picked up my by Miami and then New Orleans and then found his way over in Europe. He's the kind of guy who this two-way contract is really designed to bring back to the NBA so they actually stay over here in America rather than going overseas and, and kind of stay in the American talent pool, if you will, so that NBA games are a lot better. You know, kind of the, the quality of replacement level goes up, if you will. So that's that's nice. Um, they also signed Naz Long the, the, for, to a training camp deal. That deal will come with less than $50,000 guaranteed, and then he will probably be waived and go play for the SLC Stars next season. But he had really a nice season last year with Iowa State, um, one of the biggest jumps ever from junior year to senior year. And he's a good shooter, which uh, the SLC Stars desperately needed last year. Uh, do you like these SLC Stars takes, Look, JP Chunga? somebody needs to give the SLC Stars takes, and you're here to give it to them. Also, I mean... Since I'll start directing you in something that I can comment on, okay. uh, NBA rank, I think yeah. you're a top 10 jazz media personnel. I know CJ McCollum wanted to rank uh, media members. Thank you. You're a top 10 top guy. Top 10. The, everybody who we've had on today, top 10 media member. That That's probably jazz. true. We've had top 10 jazz media members. Um, Jody Genesee, sadly, no longer a jazz media member, I guess, because uh, he's no longer the jazz desert newsbeat writer, but I would have put him up there. He falls outside Kyle of the top Goon, 10 I now. Suppose. <laughs> now well, he's not even on the list anymore. He's no longer eligible for the list. Some people, he would have been top 10. Some people receive votes that don't deserve them in like, college <laughs> football, so think about that. Uh, I mean, you've got like, you know, your, your David Locks or Craig Bullerjacks. Aaron Falk. Aaron Falk, yeah. Aaron deserves a mention for sure. I mean, there there are many great names that uh, we didn't have on the show today, I guess, is, is what we're saying. Um, there was the NBA rank, by the way, and Rudy Gobert was, named, was number 14 and number 15, respectively, on the ESPN and Sports Illustrated top 100 list kind of dueling rankings that are coming out this month. Uh, 
Jazz fans will be happy to note that Rudy Gobert was above Gordon Hayward in both lists. Which is what they're aiming at as far as what they can take from this year. Because I don't think that the record is going to be better than the Boston. No, Celtics. certainly not. But the rank is. <laughs> I, I I've said this for at least the last three months, or I guess the three months of of last year that I thought Rudy Gobert was a better player than Gordon Hayward. Just you know, kind of looking at the his impact when he plays is is enormous. And when he developed offensively, it was astronomical how much he meant right we mentioned that earlier like his last two uh months he averaged 16 17 points a game it's really crazy all right that's our salt city hoops show thank you guys for listening check it out as a podcast on saltcityhoops.com but for now we're out i'm andy larson and this is espn